My name is Dr. Lindsay Wisner. I'm a psychologist, author, a mom, and still an occasional shit show. You're listening to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast. This is a place for smart, sweary women to talk about stuff that matters, stuff that can make us uncomfortable, but stuff that helps us to learn and grow and be okay with living in that discomfort of not knowing the right thing to say or do all the time. Thanks for listening. You can also find me on Instagram at psychshrinkmom or at neuroticnourishment. So lately it feels like I have run out of steam for podcasting. Um, As exciting as it was to share my favorite top 10 moments with you guys, um, I have to be honest, the pandemic uh, and people's resistance to science and the reopening of all of these states, which will not end well, is uh, really getting me down. Um, And so I just haven't had the energy um, to even post about things. Um, Last night, I had a brilliant intoxicated notion that perhaps I should use this as a time to reconnect with friends from long ago um, or friends that I just can't see right now. So in today's episode, you get to meet uh, my friend Jessica, and she was honestly a fairly benign, uh, sweet innocent girl when I met her Um, and she has changed into a worldly badass woman and so I'm really happy to have reconnected Uh, when I met her we both had young children and she sometimes liked to quilt and she really was just um, she didn't know who she was and now she sure as shit does so I hope you enjoy this episode on this computer yeah i have purple hair and blue because alexis has been who's my second has been asking for years to dye her hair and so she's only what nine it hasn't been that many years that she's asking this like six like six like like no like since she was six she's been asking and so i was like i never went through that rebellion as a teenager so i figured like what, what the fuck sure um and so um yesterday we um we like bleached our hair you know like stripped it from the color and uh and then not the whole head just like half the head and then she saw what she looked like as a blonde and the little bitch decided she doesn't want to color her hair so now oh no but if she started on the path to blonde at this age like she should just set aside a whole bunch of money from now on because that's gonna take her whole she'll leave a side job just to maintain that Right. Well, I was supposed to, I had been brunette for the summer and then I was going to end to save money. And, and then I was going to go back to blonde, um, for my book launch, which was March 18th, which was the, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that broke my heart. And so, um, I didn't go back to blonde and I'm sort of glad I did because then I would have like roots down to here. And, um, but I really need to find I don't want the world to open up, but I do want someone to do my eyebrows. That's sort of the only thing I'm asking for. My hairstylist texted this morning. She just wanted to check in and see how I was doing. I'm like, oh, 
Are you booking appointments? Because I love my pandemic hair. It has gotten so wonderfully long. It is really long. It's nice. Because I was sick and I missed my appointment in February and then I couldn't reschedule. And so it's got like, it's, you know, I'm looking all wild. And it's okay. Um, so uh, I am here with my friend Jessica, and and uh, that was our that was our odd intro. But um, um, we afterwards I will record an official intro. By the way, just to let you know. Um, okay. But so Jessica and I have not spoken in years, um, and we met when our kids were about six months old. No, um, less than that. They was were it? tiny. They I remember, were... like, still coming in onesies. We met in a mom and baby group. Right. That uh, it's my a... life that year because, holy crap, becoming a mom is hard. Yeah. I, it definitely saved my life, too. Um, and um, because I didn't realize until years later that I was totally postpartum. Um, <laughs> and yet, <laughs> I wasn't smart enough to know that. Um, like, I just was trying to – I needed something in my life to – adhere to a schedule. And since my son couldn't, this mommy workout group could. And we literally walked through the malls, pushing our strollers, doing exercises. And we sang kid songs at the top of our lungs to, you know. God, I blocked that part out. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was walking through the park uh, a few weeks ago with a friend. And I'm like, oh, we used to do a circle over there with the resistance bands. And we right. out on the yoga mats. And uh I totally Those, forgot about that. I did that group for about a year until he didn't want to sit in the stroller anymore. But I'm still friends with so many of those moms. Are you really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was good friends with Sarah for a while. We were very close. And then I think, and then um, when she had her third, I think is when um, it got strained. Um, yeah. uh, not that anyone did anything wrong, just that like our <laughs> life takes over. Right, life takes over, and when children go to school, it's like um, it was different. So I and I still say I miss her, and I am constantly like, oh, we should do something, but none of us well, ever. Did. If you remember, um, Ashling, and she was there with her nanny, and uh, no, I don't. But okay, okay, she was a little bit bigger, uh, a little older than our boys. Um, but we were friends with them for several years. Like we did holidays together. Wow. And, and uh, for a while. And then Amber joined. Her son's a little bit younger than ours. Okay. And then she moved to the West Coast. But she and I are yes, social media favorite. friends and quilting friends. And we talk, I don't know. We, we like each other's pictures daily. So it's good. Exactly. Right. Um, so just to explain. So I, um, yeah. So I have been finding myself like resistant to like podcast and post podcast and post episodes and um it's a because i'm doing a lot of other things but it's also b because um i don't know it's it just hasn't um it hasn't been providing the so, the self-care that it did for so long and so last night i was drunk no big surprise and on facebook and i decided to post hey does anyone want to come catch up on my show and um we'll talk about whatever comes up and it's us to reconnect and we also get to, you know, shoot the shit. And um, I don't know. I think it, 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 I wanted to find a way to make this interesting. And then as it just happens to turn out, Jessica has like the most interesting life ever. I, I've just, you know, uh, allowed my passions to, to guide my life the last several years. Right, uh, but when we were friends, 
But when we were friends, you were in an unhappy marriage and then went on to have another kid despite the unhappy marriage. So the next thing I knew, it, it, it was a whole new world uh, that I learned about through Facebook. But this, now we get to actually talk about it. And actually people really like hearing about polyamory. So. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. Um, but let's talk for a second about that having the second kid part. Because you did boom, boom, two kids in two years. 26, and yes, 26 months, yeah. yeah. I thought that I would be on a path similar even though we had this wonderful jet set lifestyle where we were traveling abroad multiple times a year in the beginning because the kid flew for free. Yeah. And so we'd go to see my in-laws in Europe for every, I don't know, we did Christmas and Easter, and then we'd go for the summer. And one year I was there for almost four months because uh, my ex had sabbatical. And so we just went and we put our oldest son in, a, um, in nursery school in Greece. You wow. know, just so you have that experience. Just uh, does he speak? Yeah, and does he speak Greek? Yeah, George's Greek is pretty good. Uh, Jack's not so much, but that's just because George had more exposure, and uh, his grandmother was give, doing more when he was younger. Gotcha. But, but you're right; the marriage was unhappy, and I know that this might end up, you know, public somewhere. So I do want to say that my ex-husband's a great guy, and I'm very happy to talk about how my divorce ended up allowing he and I to have the friendship that we never had while we were married. Yeah, I don't remember. Like having to negotiate how we were going to take care of our children going forward for the next, what, 20-something years or the rest of their lives. We realized that though our values and our goals had shifted since we met and, you know, fell in love all those, oh my God, 17 years ago yesterday is when we got married in the courthouse. Uh, um, so... We were able to reprioritize together and to jointly make decisions about a whole bunch of things as we settled the divorce. We stayed out of court. It was ugly, but not that ugly. And it did take for freaking ever, but he's a great guy and an excellent dad. And I really do think he stepped up and became a better parent because he wanted 50-50 custody. And so all of a sudden he had to learn how to do all that stuff. And I, um, I don't remember him being a great guy as you're describing it, but like at the time, but <laughs> let me also just say, I do remember that he shoveled your car out of the snow a few years ago when you had already separated. Yeah, so, so like clearly you guys- Yeah, have no, he's great. Um, it was a rough road, uh, so we can get into that, you know, when you have me on again. But I had asked for a divorce after the first child and he said no. And so I said, okay, if I'm going to be trapped in this situation forever, I at least want another kid to take care of. But you know, no isn't like a thing. Well, see, this is what happened. I didn't know I had any power or control <laughs> or any decision-making ability as so many wives who are financially dependent on their husbands come to be. Sure. Um, but when we moved to New York 12 years ago, uh, we decided I'd be a stay-at-home mom, but we didn't have a clear path for how to get out of that. Right. And so I finished my master's degree. I have a master's in TESOL. It's awesome. In what? Um, in what? I'm sorry? Uh, teaching English to speakers of other languages. Okay. Yeah. And I taught at Hofstra and St. John's for a while and even at the Japanese school in New York. And I really like teaching English, but that's a different story. Um, when I had the second baby, it didn't save the marriage at all. 
Um, and it was really hard. I'm sure a lot of things that I don't want to be public. But the other thing I did in the same year is I wrote a book about quilting. And uh, I had written a quilt blog for ages and a publisher contacted me through the blog and I got a contract and I wrote the book. And so I gave birth to this one and to my second son in the same year. And uh, that was, hmm. Do you profit from this book? Do you, like, what? are you making money from this book? Um, not currently. I wrote on contract so I don't get any royalties, but it has been translated into eight languages. And so I'm, you know, world known. <laughs> and that's kind of cool. That's fantastic. I, but I, I still don't understand how you don't, like, you get no royalties? No, no, no. I wrote through a partnering publisher. So I provided all the content for an upfront fee. Okay. And then they put the book together and then sold it for distribution. And they sold it to a bunch of other partners around the world and had it translated and all of that. So someone so, is making um, money I, off of you. Yes. Yes. But, um, you know, it was my first time. I was never planning to write a book. Right. Um, and what I was able to do then is once the book came out, I self-promoted and I did a whole bunch of events. And I did uh, speaking, I did lectures, trunk shows, workshops. And that was a lot of fun, but that put huge strain on my marriage. Gotcha. And then when uh, the publisher asked me to write a second book, and he said no, and I said, I want to do this. And so I wrote it, and in the process of writing that book, we decided we didn't want to be together anymore. But along the way, I also um, started researching a little bit more into polyamory. And I have some friends who had mentioned it to me, you know, uh, their experiences here or there. I'm like, you know what? This sounds a lot better than the swinging culture that's so popular here in Long Island. Uh, you know, because sex There's is just a swinging sex, culture in Long Island? Where the heck have you been, Lindsay? Not <laughs> yes. swinging. I wasn't aware of this. <laughs> Apparently I am not attractive well, enough to get invited to go swing. <laughs> not true. And I only say that because I've seen you in sweatpants postpartum. Oh, okay. I'll take it. Thanks. Um, but you know, I, I, I had no idea there was a swinging culture. Oh yeah. There's a pretty big swinging culture in Long Island because it's a whole bunch of, I don't know, uh, morally misguided religious folk who need to fit into their social structure and want to hide, you know, how they're getting their needs met. Um, and we talked about that for a long time. And I really didn't think I could get out of it the same things that he would get out of it. So wait, you so- know, I was looking for something more than just physical pleasure gotcha. and attention. Okay. And so, um, but was he- open Yeah, and so when I started looking Well, what happened is I started looking more into polyamory and then decided I wanted to try it. And I asked him to open the marriage and, and try it. And we did, we tried. And it was rocky and crazy. And we definitely weren't starting off from a very good place. So if you're listening to this and you're in a closed monogamous marriage and you're thinking about opening up, there's definitely a lot of research and a lot of hard conversations that you have to have together. Because once you allow somebody else to come into your life, you can't control that. Right. You can uh, set guidelines, but if you don't have a good working relationship with your primary partner about how you want to 
discuss things. What's private? What isn't private? What can be shared? Um, and jealousy definitely happens. But you mean, you mean what can be shared? Through like, that yeah. process and opening up with my now ex-husband, now I realize that I've always been polyamorous. Like there was a light bulb moment. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been poly forever. How because even you... when I got married at 23 years old, it didn't stop me from falling in love with so many other men. Um, okay, so how did you... So then are we operating under the assumption that... Um, well, first of all, what do you mean by falling in love? And second of all, are we, you know... Yeah, what do you mean by falling in love with, with other men? Um, okay, so if you think of the typical, and I'm only going to start here because this is what people seem to be most familiar with. I mean, I know polyamory has gotten a lot more attention in recent years, but there's a whole bunch of uh, misinformation out there. If you think, okay, regular husband and wife, bored with each other after X number of years, want to have a little bit more fun, so they start going into the swinging scene, show up to the party together, each find other partners, blah, 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 go home, don't take any names or numbers, and then it's just a one-off uh, that was fun. Let's do it again next month. And you're able to put a little sexual excitement back into your marriage and experiment with other people. Sure. Now, what I found that was really lacking, what I needed was emotional connection, more communication, honesty, vulnerability, um, emotional attachment. And my needs were not just sexual at all. And polyamory allows for that. It really allows you to have multiple uh, deep, emotionally involved relationships uh, at the same time. Now, this doesn't mean that I always have five boyfriends. I mean, who the hell has time for five boyfriends? I don't. I don't. <laughs> but I do have two. Uh, and I'll tell you happily about those two relationships. But the nice part is because it requires so much communication. You can't lie. You can't coast. You can't just feel in a bad mood and you know that your husband's in a bad mood so you're gonna sit next to each other on the couch and not talk for a few days. I mean, everybody who's married for a while, especially with kids, you know that. You know, sure. you're, you're roommates, but it's not what it could be. Right. So it probably I, takes a lot of work, but, but it's so worth it. But so when you said before, you said that you knew you were poly because you had, um, even though, even after you got married, you fell in love with other people. I find that there's like a party line that comes sometimes from like polyamorous people that where like, uh, like the non-poly population gets put into this, um, this like small little box where the assumption is that we never, um, we never think about other people romantically or sexually. And the fact is like, it's not true, you know? Yeah. Okay. So, but so I don't understand how that was your, like you said that you realized that you've been poly your whole life. So my whole marriage, my husband and I were fairly open about, you know, pointing out attractive people, you know, if we're on the beach and somebody hot walks by and he didn't notice, I'd like nudge him so he can look. But that's still only filling one type of need. You know, I could tell him, oh, we used to watch UFC. And I had this huge crush on uh, George St. Pierre. 
Okay. Because, you know, he's gorgeous and was running around in underwear. And uh, anyway, um, my husband didn't mind seeing my expressions of attraction or lust for other men, so long as I wasn't actually uh, acting on them. But I couldn't go home from work and tell him, oh my gosh, my coworker did this and I was so proud of him and he's really growing in his role at work. And, you know, and emotional attachment to somebody outside of your marriage triggers instant jealousy and threat of loss. And so I was finding that I was having deep emotions for other men for reasons other than their physical attractiveness. Right. And that happened. Like I did not act on them. I mean, you spend time with them, have conversations that don't cross the line, you know, all sorts of things. But I knew what was happening inside of me. And so once I admitted to myself that it was okay, that it had always been okay, I just didn't have words for it. And so long as me and whatever partners I'm with are honest about what we're doing, um, you can definitely craft a life that's not in the traditional path at all. So what came, like, uh, did you and your ex explore poly together? Well, he was much more interested in, you know, actively exploring the swinging community, as I mentioned. Right. But... We never actually got that far, other than just like hanging out on some websites and talking to random strangers and stuff like that. Um, But then when I found a poly dating site and I met somebody across the country and I said, I want to continue talking with this person and see what kind of emotions can develop there. And uh, that was hard because my ex and I didn't have that kind of uh, open communication necessary. He wasn't able to talk through the jealousy. Um, We had a whole bunch of baggage and other problems that we were ignoring because we weren't healthy when we started out. And so I'd caution anybody who's in a monogamous relationship not to use this to save your marriage because it won't because it was within a year of that experiment that we decided to get divorced. Uh, And no, I did not run off with the other guy. Right. What was the final straw for the divorce, if I can ask? Because it sounds like you guys are willing to um, Well, he, I met somebody and I was in this, you know, wonderful falling in love relationship with NRE, you know, new relationship energy when you allow yourself to to fall for somebody else. And that was great. And he started talking to another woman, went to see her a few times. uh, And after one weekend, I guess, that they spent together, he came home just racked with guilt and he didn't want to do it. Gotcha. And then he decided... He gave me the ultimatum, monogamy or divorce. Um, yeah. And I knew that I was not happy in the way that our marriage had been working. Right. And I had no idea that I had the power to change that. Right. But I'm so, so, so grateful that I took the leap and left him, yet stayed focused enough to get to a healthy relationship with him. Because, I mean, kids, you know. No, absolutely. Like, there's no narrative. There's no pattern in American relationships for how to have a healthy relationship with your former husband. No, but maybe everyone expects us to be enemies. (laughs) Maybe you should write that next. Uh, (laughs) um, So, so then, um, okay, so then. (laughs) That's a good idea. There you go. Um, 
So then how did you, what happened next? How did you delve into it? Um, and or uh, do you want to talk a little bit about how your two boyfriends works now? Yeah, sure. Well, um, once I went through, you know, the realities of divorce and having to move out and take care of my kids and work and all of that, um, the practicality of having a long distance relationship on the West Coast just kind of fell apart, you yeah. know, because I needed a lot more than I could get from that relationship. Um, still love him, by the way, but that's a different story. Uh, and so I started looking for partners uh, more local, but not hyper local. I didn't want to date somebody in my neighborhood who I could just run over and, you know, latch on to him and his family. So I found uh, a guy in uh, Rockland County, you know, up north of the city, and started hanging out just every other weekend, you know, like weekends I didn't have my kids. Yeah. And he wasn't so close that he could come have dinner after work. Like we had very specific set aside time to focus on us. Right. And we got to know each other. It was always open from the beginning. Um, and having him at a distance allowed me to rebuild my life here in Long Island without too much interference. I was able to decide how much my kids were going to be involved in that relationship. Right. That's another question. And yeah. I really put like a, <laughs> like, like a big barrier, like a lot of what comes in uh, divorce healing and uh, being good at polyamory is being able to set and communicate your own boundaries. Gotcha. And I think nobody taught me that before I got married. So I didn't have a lot of boundaries up, uh, in my marriage. And therefore, whenever he would make a decision or he would uh, say something, I would feel personally offended by it because I hadn't told him that that wasn't okay with me. You know, and it's not that he was trying to hurt me, but he didn't know where my boundaries were. Right, because you didn't know so where they were. So being able to put very specific boundaries on the relationship, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so I had to learn all that. Um, so that relationship started, I don't know, four and a half years ago, and it's wonderful and very strong. And still um, continues? In January of this year, I, yeah, 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 it's great. I'll get to the, the fun, juicy details there in a second. But in January, I met somebody else, um, always through OkCupid, because it's one of the only dating apps that allows you to put non-monogamy as a preference. Interesting. Um, and I started dating, in a second. I have a small child entering the room. It's okay. Small child? Mm -hmm. You have to leave the room, dude. Come on. I already said yes to this. And close the door, please. Thank you. Chip. Thank you. can edit that out if you want to but no I don't edit anything out and small children my invasions and I still disagree on how much the kids should know about my yeah um I don't edit anything out like and also small <laughs> the invasions. Yeah, so I started dating this um yeah I was just saying the invasion of small children is a common occurrence on because most of the people I pod with are parents so you know shit happens okay so in January <laughs> You interview moms and that happens. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. In January, I met this other guy. Um, uh, lives in Queens. And uh, we hit things off. We both 
lived in Japan at the turn of the century. And so we have a whole bunch of random, like, shared experiences from 20 years ago. Wow. And it's just been really fun uh, to get to know somebody new. Um, he's married. And uh, his wife, wife also has other partners. So it's also very, very nice to date a married guy because my primary partner now um, is not married and doesn't have kids. And so his needs are different. Right. But um, with my secondary partner, oh my gosh, he's so much fun and really bringing out ideas and thoughts and creativity in me that were always in there, but I just don't see with my primary partner because we connect on different things. So it's wonderful to have these shared things to connect with this guy and different shared things to connect with the other guy. And all of a sudden, I feel like I just have a limitless potential for personal growth. Which is really fantastic. Um, unfortunately, this guy works in a, um, in a medical facility in Brooklyn. And so since lockdown, I haven't seen him. And that's very, very sad because he's awfully cute. And, <laughs> and we only had like two months to get to know each other in all sorts of fun ways. And now it's just Skype every night. And so, hopefully restrictions will be lifted. But So what did you... So, um, okay, so you already had only every other weekend to see the, your primary partner. So how do you rotate in secondary partner? Oh, so when I was looking and when I started vetting partners in the dating app, mm -hmm. I said, I'm looking for somebody local because I don't need another semi-far other side of New York partner. Um, and that needs to be available on weeknights. Gotcha. So I was specifically looking for somebody who could fill in the two nights a week that I didn't have my kids on a rotating schedule. Um, and, you know, I started talking to this guy. He's like, yeah, that could work out for me. I'm like, huh. And then I found out he lives in Ridgewood, which is right there, you know, on the border with Brooklyn. And I had already decided years ago, like I've been poly now for five, almost, oh God, six years. And, uh, <laughs> nobody no sex is good enough to drive to Brooklyn for okay it just isn't <laughs> I'm not sitting I'm not sitting on the belt parkway to go no not happening but uh, you grow you change and then you realize that it's really not that far especially when there's lockdown and no traffic or you know he's willing to come to me sure so for the right person anything's really possible and if you find somebody who's willing to work with you and just see where the relationship could go just be open to that. That's uh, definitely one of the beauties of polyamory. Okay. So before you jump in with all the questions, because I know you have kinds of questions, let oh. me just say that in March, my primary partner was very needy because all of a sudden I had the kids at home and I was working from home and absolutely no time for him. And I said, I'm sorry, dude, I love you, but go get a girlfriend. And so he did. <laughs> And he has not had a romantic partner in the whole time we've been together. He's had lots of um, friends and uh, casual relationships and things like that. But he hasn't fallen in love with anybody yet until now. And now that he's actually going through it, he's understanding Polly so much more. And the woman he found, she's a delight. And we're both Sagittarius and we get along really well. And so this is just allowing me to grow in this whole new area. Plus everything that I already share with him is amplified and uh, highlighted because I get to watch him being different with her than he is with me. And I have all these new reasons to love him more. Okay, now go questions. Have you met her? Yes. Like in person? 
uh-huh. or just virtual? Fantastic. Uh, two weeks ago, I drove and uh, I hung out at her apartment before I went to see him. She lives in the Bronx. And he oh. was so jealous because he, her roommate doesn't let her have guys over. So <laughs> I've been in her bed and he hasn't. <laughs> yeah, so that was fun. Okay, and were you the, in her bed? Wait, were you in her bed in like a sexual way? No, we were just laying down, swooning over him. And okay. taking selfies, you know, like two girls do when they're in love with the same guy. <laughs> Got it. Uh, but then later that and picked her up and then the three of us hung out for a day and it was good. So what do the kids know? They know mom has two boyfriends. Okay. Um, they have been fully integrated into my primary relationship because he has a big family that's all here in New York. And so for the last four years, we've done holidays and family parties and everything with his family. Um, that's great. So like my kids are friends with his cousins, kids and stuff like that. You know, it's like family. Um, what else do they know? Do you worry that one day you're going to get a call from a teacher? No, I don't worry about that so much. I know I've been pretty open with my kids about what marriage means and what monogamy means and how it's okay for you to have more than one boyfriend or girlfriend so long as everyone knows about it. And so it's the lying and the cheating that's bad, not the loving more than one person. Sure. So the way you described your schedule, um, one could... Like, it almost sounds like you, like you got, so the second partner was in part to fill in that time when you were alone. Like when you don't have the kids. And so it's like a chicken or egg, which came first? But yeah. Oh, oh, um, mental ability to have two partners. That definitely needed to free up before (laughs) you could actually offer your, yourself to be able to meet someone's needs at a very deep emotional level. If you don't have that capacity, that space, that headspace, then you can't offer that and you shouldn't, you know? So I wanted to make sure I was able to, um, I wasn't looking to fall in love with anybody. I was really just looking for, you know, some midweek fun, but whoops, he can't end up being awesome. Right. But I mean, again, it's like, it almost sounds like I, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate. Like, so two nights a week, you're alone without your kids. So you got a second partner to, to fill in for that time. No. And I, mean, I understand, yes, but I just want to get Yeah. For you who go to sleep every night with your same husband for the last 15 years, right? Yep. Um, it looks like that. 15 but and two I, weeks, yeah. <laughs> congratulations. Um, I've been out on my own for a while, so I know how I want to spend my time, and I don't need to spend it with somebody. But I also knew that I was looking to grow and heal in certain ways that my primary partner could not help me with. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Can you, um, it does. No, because I've got certain, yeah, I have certain specific marriage and like family of origin baggage that my bachelor primary partner just does not know what to do with. You know, he had a happy childhood, so he doesn't know how to handle my childhood trauma other than like hold me as I cry. So um, 
it was really wonderful to be able to find another intimate partner who came from a similar childhood upbringing. Um, we had, like I said, uh, connection points so vastly different than what I have with my primary partner and who's also in a long-term marriage. Right. And so can help me heal a lot, I guess, from my divorce. Well, that makes sense. It's almost like uh, having a partner who is married. I actually think that could help you heal, heal a lot from your childhood because it's almost like a, a reparenting of sorts, but not in a weird, freaky way. I just mean like you get to have like, a, you know, um, there's something there's something that sort of can replay in a healthy way the uh, rep like repair your childhood wounds in, in a sense. Um, no, we do. We definitely spend, well, now all we do is talk, but um, a lot of time talking about relationships and how we address them and why we did say things or didn't say things. Um, you know, I'm helping him have a more healthy communication with his wife. Right. Because in poly, like, I realized that she's spending a lot of time with her other partners and he's spending tons of his time with me, uh, like free time off work. Uh, and I said, well, how much time are you actually spending with her? Like talking right. about and repairing and building a solid, more solid foundation for the future of your marriage. And he's like, oh, well, I've been quarantined for 10 weeks. And I said, no, 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 no. You and I have gotten really close in that same 10 week period where we haven't physically been in the same place. It is possible if you put in the effort and then you have to find a willing partner. So he has to find out now if his wife isn't willing to work on their marriage or if he isn't, or, you know, you can't, you can't coast. There's no BSing, you know, every day, everything changes. So. Yeah, I mean, and. We can talk about the sex stuff yet, so. And coasting is, um, it does feel like a lot of marriages at this point are coasting. Um, you know, uh, in particular during the pandemic, um, you know, I think, uh, I think it's, and you know, I've married 15 years. There's definitely some coasting going on and definitely some, we're probably each becoming more extreme versions of who we were before, which makes us less compatible and need to work on things more. Um, and yet it's something that doesn't always uh, happen. You know, so I can see the need for um, the need for, you know, for a facilitator to improve communication. It's odd that it's a girlfriend because I don't, you know, it's odd to me, but I also, I see it, um, you know, so it's interesting. Can I reframe for a second? Yeah, totally. One of the awesome things about my adherence to a poly lifestyle or a relationship anarchy lifestyle is that my ex-husband is still a daily contact in my life because even when we're talking about kid stuff or when I lost my job during the pandemic, I called him Yeah, because the four of us, he and I and our two children are still a unit, like a financially attached unit legally in the state of New York. And so any change that comes up, we just need to be on the same page with it. And then now when we're talking about social distancing, the kids are still going back and forth. And I see my boyfriend and he sees his girlfriend, but he doesn't want me to see my second boyfriend who works at the hospital because that's too much risk. That makes you know? sense. But 
in telling future partners or like when I'm looking for new partners, trying to explain to them the relationship that I have now with my ex-husband, my co-parent, and hopefully the relationship that I have with his girlfriend, you know, cause she and I get along yeah. and that's not weird. You know, uh, this past Christmas, my ex-husband cooked dinner for me and my boyfriend and my sister <laughs> and our kids. And yes, it was a little bit surreal, but seeing my boyfriend interact with my kids and my ex-husband surprised and happy that my kids had a positive response to him. And it's just another positive, healthy relationship for the kids to see. You know, uh, how yeah. many married couples can do that? Not many um no it's true it's true i mean and also and i strongly believe that we tend to repeat our childhoods as, as adults and so it's um you know it's especially which i'm not saying means that your kids are gonna be poly i'm just saying like it you know uh bringing in more positives are better um you know okay yeah, what if i look back yeah go ahead no you first if you look back well, if I look back at the married people I knew in my life, were they happily married? Like while I was a kid? Probably not. Did I witness a whole bunch of adult arguments over things that I probably shouldn't have? And then watch people like, I don't want to say settle, but sacrifice. Sacrifice themselves for the sake of the social structure that comes from a monogamous coupling. Yeah. And the shame that my divorced aunts felt year after year because it was like a failure that they couldn't do it. And now I have the perspective, no, you just couldn't do it with that one particular man at that time in those circumstances. Yeah. And there's no shame in that because we have to be able to accept that sometimes things don't work. Yeah. I don't view divorce as being attached to shame. Um, I think it's usually. You're not Catholic. Oh, okay. That's true. Um, it usually, I think, I think it's, takes more um, strength, you know, to decide to divorce. I didn't know it would take so much until I tried it, but let me tell you, it did. <laughs> See, there you go. Um, I, what, uh, first of all, did you ever go to one of those swingers parties? No. Too bad. I wanted to know what it was like. Um, uh, and the second- Hold on, give me two, uh, two minutes on the internet. I'll have you hooked up for tonight, don't worry. Yeah, I, I, second, how did you find out that there was this large Long Island swingers population? I won't say that's the reason my ex-husband wanted to move to Long Island, but who knows, it might've been. Did he know before? Um, I found out after several years of marriage that he was quite active with some online communities that I just wasn't aware of. Okay. And now we call that virtual infidelity. But the fun thing about Polly is it's totally fine. Like my boyfriend is also active in several online communities to do all sorts of fun things with other people, but I know about it and it's fine. Right. And that's the difference. Um, yeah. And if your husband were doing that for years behind your back, you'd kind of feel crappy about it. Yeah. Um, I don't, the term relationship anarchy, explain Ooh. it to me. As I do it and practice it, it's that, uh, a romantic relationship is not automatically more important than any other relationship you have. 
What do you so mean? So it allows you to put value on your connections in the way that works best for the people involved. So think in your mind, for example, like two sisters that own a house together. Like we think of them as spinsters, but the truth is they're financially and uh, socially entangled in that without having husbands. And it's different in 2020 than it would have been, you know, a hundred years ago. Sure. But um, just because I have a primary partner that I'm relation or that I'm romantically involved in doesn't mean that I'm going to go to him to make my decisions instead of my ex-husband. You know, like when I'm making major financial decisions, I still call my ex-husband because he's the one I'm financially entangled with. Right. But how? Yeah, is if that... I had a second husband, that might be different, but I don't. But how um, is that relationship anarchy? Well, you can look at it as my relationship with my children is more important than a relationship with uh, any romantic partner. Um, there's a chart that I'd love to send you if you want to post it somewhere. Uh, it's a relationship anarchy smorgasbord. I didn't make the chart, but it floats around the internet in these circles. Um, and then you decide you can have a lifelong partnership where you share a dwelling and raise kids together, but never have sex. You know, or you can have a relationship that's only kink. Yeah. Or a relationship that's only collaborative, uh, business, financial, social partners, but doesn't involve any touch. You can have roommates. It, it just is, a, I guess, a life philosophy that being romantic with someone, having sex with someone, does not automatically make them more important than anyone else in your life. Okay, but the word anarchy sounds like there's something to go against. Oh, yes, because we're going against the social model that says you are only a valid person if you are in a monogamous and married relationship. I, that you, that I, I, you are I, more valid than I am because you're married with kids and have a house than me who's unmarried and divorced and has an apartment. I, you know, like there are huge social structures built on the monogamous system. Yeah, but I don't know that that's true or if it's something that was that if it's a construct that you need to like that you may that you came up with a need to fight against rather than you, you know like I don't know that people actually feel like feel that way okay um, so think about before we had same-sex marriage and even then a romantic partner would not be able to go uh, see their partner in the hospital because they're not family. Yes. Right? But that relationship is definitely valid. Yes. Right? And so if I want to go and assist uh, a friend in the hospital, I can't, you know, because I'm not her family. And, I, and there's definitely... Um, well, I think the way that American society is still set up, that certain relationships have, I don't want to say privilege, that's such an overused word, but, but yeah. Um, so I think the statistic, was that you? No, it's my cat. Well, I, mean, I meant, was that your cat? I knew it was your cat. <laughs> yes. I was like, what the hell is that? Um, I, uh, I knew, um, okay, so I, I'm, I'm going to say norm, but I mean it in terms of statistic, like the average, like the middle of the bell curve. Yes, you know, is 
is probably um, monogamous relationship, although it's probably is not as much the norm as I think it is, you know, because um, uh, because there are other options out there. And again, I didn't know there was a Long Island swinging population. So, um, you know, so I think that, um, yes, the norm is probably still the nuclear family, so to speak. But, um, but I feel like the word anarchy is like saying that you have to fight against, like, me as the norm and you know um oh, oh, okay um well i didn't come up with the term i'm not i don't usually consider myself an anarchist right but i also don't feel so comfortable just going along with society's rules and norms i don't like i really want to be able to question everything and i'm teaching my kids to question everything because society allows for all sorts of things that are not healthy or good. For example, non-ethical, non-monogamy. It's completely okay to cheat. It's uh, almost expected. I don't think it's okay well, to cheat. Not, your wife doesn't expect you to, but your guy friends might. Maybe. Um, but, Maybe. you know, I think the best thing we can do is to teach our kids to question things. So give me another <laughs> example. Um you know, like of, um, of something that, you know, teach them to, to question because do they understand, you know, they, just the, the valuing honesty and open communication more than sexual exclusivity. So do you talk to them about sex? Oh, ha, well, you know, middle schoolers. So yeah, we talk about a whole bunch of things. Yeah. Uh, but he's learning from the internet now, so he knows more than I do. <laughs> and <laughs> do I talk to them about having sex with my partners? No. He still thinks I haven't, which is kind of cute. Don't tell him. I won't. Um, but I also don't think that, like, I don't think that, um, I know that one of the objections that gets raised a lot with Polly and when you have children is like, well, what would your kids, you know, think? And my approach is always, my kids don't know what goes on inside my bedroom. Like, why should your, you know, like, why should your kids be any different in a way? Oh, well, if you only think that a relationship involved uh, in is made up of what happens in the bedroom, then you just have a poor view of relationships overall. Right. I that wasn't my. No, no, no. But but I agree. Like, people definitely immediately think of sex. Yeah. Could your kids tell you who your uh, closest friends are, the ones that know your darkest secrets, your most intimate, Sure. who you go to for comfort when you're sad. Yeah. Yeah. And so they know that mom has people and they right. know that they should also have people. And so long as those relationships are healthy and not abusive, like if they were watching several men rotate through my bedroom and treat me like crap, that's not good. No. I wouldn't want that. Yeah. But they're not seeing that. Um, yeah, no, I agree. And I mean, my point was, I, I support, again, my point is I am a in a nuclear family, but my kids don't know what goes on inside their bedroom, my bedroom. Although now every time we want to talk, they ask if we're going to have sex. So now every time like literally now like my husband tries to hide it like and I'm but like I tell them we have I tell them we're going to go have sex all the time and like we don't have sex nearly half as much as I tell them but like 
and you know, and now it's just like, yep, we're going to go have sex or like, where my husband like locks the door, turns on the TV, you know, and, like makes it a whole big thing of it. Like, I'm pretty sure I could just tell them we're going to go have sex and they would be fine with oh, it. I forgot about married sex. That sounds terrible. Um, your kids are still home. Yeah. No, the best part about divorce is the co-parenting. So I have plenty of free time without my kids where I don't have to wear clothes and I can hang out with whoever I want. Yeah, I don't have that. I don't have that. Um, yeah, so maybe I should divorce him and then, no, because- we, No, you got a good one. Keep him. Yeah, I, no, I'm, I love him. I'm not divorcing him. I mean, I want to murder him some days, but um, that's pretty much a normal part of marriage. Wait, so do you ever want to murder one of your boyfriends? No, because I put up boundaries and I set space. And when they're pissing me off enough, I leave them alone. And they respect me for that. When I'm having a bad day, I can say, you know what? I just don't have the bandwidth to talk about this right now. Can I find you in a few hours? Or, you know, the kids really need me right now. So I'm going to be with them and we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and then I'll come back and find you. And I mean, they, you'll hear sometimes that time is the currency in polyamory. And sometimes your partners will be like, oh, well, he got two nights and I only got one night this week. But really it comes down to how much attention I have. Yeah. Yeah. And that attention has to be spread to a lot of people. You know, I've got two kids and they both need me. Yeah. I have other female friends that I want to make sure are getting support. I have a aging family that I'm not doing very good at taking care of, but there's an awful lot of people. And when you're in a traditional monogamous relationship, the society views it as default that your husband will be most important. Yes. And here, my boyfriends know that my kids are going to come first. They know that my needs, if I need a night off to not talk to anybody, that's okay. So I think you just hit the nail on the head with why I could never be Polly. And here's the reason. Um, My parents, like when I was younger, if, if, if they're, if the boat was sinking and they, you know, you could save one person, my parents would save each other and leave my, my brother and I to drown. And so because of that, I always wanted a spouse that put me first. And that's easy before you have kids. Um, And even now, like my, you know, my complaints really is that I feel like I need to remind my husband that our relationship exists. So I could not do Polly, not because of the jealousy or whatnot, but because I need someone to make me feel like I've come first. Oh, no, I definitely feel that I get plenty of positive attention, but I don't want either of my partners to ever tell me that I'm the only, I'm the most important, that, because that changes. Yeah. And maybe that's my divorce baggage still, but when I realized that my ex-husband was going to put our kids before me, I don't know if anything hurt more than that, realizing that I would never come first in his mind ever again. And now what we're able to build in our post-married life is that we both agree that our kids come first. Right. And we Uh, have that shared goal because I no longer need him to make me feel special. Exactly. And I feel, I mean, the opposite, like I need him to make me, my husband to make me feel special. And so I think- Oh, but Lindsay, if you had two boys texting you every morning, like wanting to- wake you up with kisses you yeah special. that's a valid point um although honestly um so my husband is working because he's a 
a psychologist at a uh, inpatient psych ward. And so whenever he calls, I'm almost like agitated because I've got six, you know, like yeah. I'm teaching my kids, I'm, te- I'm seeing patients, I'm whatever. Yeah. So I have no fucking space, time, or fucks left for another man in my life. Well, that's why you have to wait till it's the right time. Yeah, I, yeah, I still think that the, uh, you know. Anyway, I'm going to send you the relationship anarchy chart because I want Please you to do. think about it. If you haven't given any thought or learned or heard about that before, um, it's an interesting topic to do a little research on. Yeah. Because it's different than polyamory in that, you know, it doesn't put a romantic relationship first, whereas polyamory is really multiple loves. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think I identify as both right now. Uh, that sounds great. Yeah, yeah, I definitely make sure any future partners understand that you know, my ex-husband's still a big deal. Um, Jessica, thank you. Um, I thought this was really wonderful and good, and it was nice catching up with you. And I can't wait till you send me the um, chart. Um, so thank you. Sure. Happy to, to chat again. And if you ever want to have Rich and I on together to talk polyamory, he's kind of a guru. He's awesome. Ooh, that would be cool. Thanks for listening to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast. If you like what you hear, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, shout from rooftops, smoke signals, hot air balloons, whatever. I'll take any of it. Uh, And if you really like what you're listening, why don't you become a patron? Join our Patreon. Visit us at patreon.com backslash neurotic nourishment. Thanks. Thanks.